0: Hey, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back to break down everything that happened over the last few days on WWE SmackDown and Monday Night Raw, and we have plenty to talk about on a loaded show. Basically, continuing yet another loaded week here at the Getting Over podcast. Man, coming out of NXT TakeOver War Games, we had instant analysis for you. On Sunday, last week, we had our 100th episode, Spectacular. This Wednesday, we have a big episode coming up that I will tell you about in a little bit. And on Thursday, of course, we will be back talking all things NXT and AEW. But you know what? Let's not waste a lot of time. Let me tell you about the Wednesday episode this week. For the first time on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we don't have an interview for you. We have a conversation The Silver King sits down one-on-one for a lengthy discussion with none other than Renee Paquette, the former Renee Young, author of a new cookbook, host of a new podcast, wife of John Moxley, and mother-to-be. It was a great long-form interview, if I do say so myself. I'm extremely excited about it and so happy that you all get to hear it on Wednesday's show. As I said, it's a loaded week. It's a loaded month. We have the Getting Over Awards Still not sure about the name of those, but those are coming up at the end of the month. We still have WWE TLC before 2020 is out. There is so much to get to, and I am thrilled that we get to bring it all to you here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But we got to get into today's show. And folks, you know what we talk about. It's all about the damn five on this podcast, meaning five-star ratings and reviews. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. This is the season of giving. Drop us a five-star rating. Let us know how much you love the show. Leave a positive review as well. Every single time you guys do it, it is greatly appreciated. Getting Over was in the top 30 wrestling podcasts in North America last week. That is huge. We're only a couple months old. It is all you guys, your dedication, listening, telling your friends, leaving those reviews. That is what rockets us to the top. And that is where we want to go. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Twitter. At getting overcast, you can follow me personally at Silverstein Adam if you so choose, but it's very important to follow the show at getting overcast. So, with that out of the way, it's time to welcome in today's co host, none other than Vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, big week of wrestling in the past, big week of wrestling coming up, just getting started on Monday night. I didn't necessarily think Raw. Blew the doors off things. But at the same time, it wasn't bad either. So I think SmackDown Raw, WWE as a whole, it's running pretty consistently here as we get through the final month of 2020.
1: It is. And before I get into reactions on Raw, I just want to say, uh, folks, if you haven't gone back and listened to not only the 100th episode Adam did last week, but the AEW NXT episode with Jack, I found it interesting as a listener because though Jack and, and, and Brian Campbell and them, they, they're not actively watching wrestling. So I appreciated their perspective as somebody who is not currently watching wrestling and wondering if it's a time to get in. We here talk about wrestling every week and what's going on. We're, we're in the thick of it. So I found right. their perspectives interesting. And I think it's going to kind of shape how I feel uh, WWE and everybody else is doing. Uh, are they doing something to keep uh, or, or bring in new viewers? And, and we'll get into what those things are. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it seems like generally they're not. They're not. But there's one yeah. thing
1: that they is, and that's the Roman Reigns stuff. And that's stuff we talk right. about every week and we'll talk about later on the show. So the, the, there are some things WWE is doing that is reaching out to those old fans. But, you know, this was another pretty good week of, of, of SmackDown and Raw. Was it enough to draw in a, a bunch more people? Probably
0: not, but it, it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad. Something else that's not bad. This is not wrestling specific, by the way, but it is something I need to discuss. So I am not a big prepared food eater, meaning like I don't buy frozen dinners. Right. I don't I I try to cook for myself, uh, cook healthy when possible, um, you know, and just buy things fresh, chicken, whatever the case. But I recently had an Uncrustable (laughs) Have you ever had an Uncrustable before? I have not, but I saw your your tweet about it. Okay, so it's weird. So I'm a big peanut butter and jelly fan, and that's a separate topic we can talk about if we so choose. But uh, when you eat a peanut butter and jelly, you just make it for yourself, right? It's not hard. It's two pieces of bread, (laughs) peanut butter and jelly, or jam or honey, whatever you choose to use on your sandwich. But I just, it's been an extended period of time. I think Uncrustables came out probably after, definitely almost has to be after I was in, out of high school, maybe even after I was out of college. So I was never in a position where I needed a quick on-the-go peanut butter and jelly, you know, situation. Like maybe that's something my mom would have bought me when I was little, but as an adult, it's not not something I would ever try. But I was going through, you know, the like what's on sale at my supermarket this past week for the first time ever I've seen Uncrustables were on sale. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And dude, I'm legitimately shocked. Like, it's a frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwich with no crust, obviously, based on the name. You take it out of the container, whatever. You just rest it out for 30 minutes. So it thaws. And it tasted like a fresh peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, I didn't look at like the calorie count or the the ingredients. I'm sure there's preservatives and things that maybe aren't the best for you. But at the end of the day, it's frozen bread, peanut butter, and jelly. I got jam. I got the strawberry one. And I was legitimately surprised how much I liked this thing. So I am giving the full getting over endorsement. <laughs> if you need a quick on the go peanut butter and jelly fix, get uncrustables Official.
1: Yeah, I, I've heard good things. I'm not a big jelly guy, so I don't know if they have peanut butter only ones, but uh, they I have will... peanut
0: butter and honey. I saw. Hmm. I will I may put that on my list for the next time. I'm about to what, so what do you mean you're not a jelly guy? Like you don't eat jellies and jams ever?
1: I mean, it's 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 good. I just I did I, I like peanut butter sandwiches and. And throwing the jelly on there to me doesn't make it better it, it's so what's
0: weird. your what is your when you're making a sandwich what is your peanut butter like tell me the construction what, what are you doing just bread peanut butter and and bread <laughs> <The peanut laughs> are you doing bread. are you doing like white bread yeah yeah just typical really? white bread yeah like a like like a wonder bread or like nature's own or something like
1: that yeah or the walmart brand or something like that yeah
0: really what what's your uh, peanut butter brand uh usually jif interesting so and, and, and I'm, up, I'm a smooth peanut butter guy, not a crunchy. Me too. I don't like no, crunchy. I think crunchy peanut butter is an abomination. Yes. If, I wanted, if I want peanuts, I'll go eat peanuts. Yep. It's not, that's, not the, that's not the point of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or, or whatever equivalent you want to make. The, the point is smooth, easy eating, you know, not having to chew really that much. It's just to get something kind of down. So I was growing up a skippy peanut butter guy as a kid, and they changed the formula at some point, like probably around middle school. And ever since then, I've been Jif. Jif's smooth. I get the natural one. Less sugar, less artificial stuff in it. Um, but I have, I've never really in my life eaten uh, white bread. Like, I guess because my mom always bought whole wheat and stuff. So I, I usually do some type of whole wheat, pepperage farm, or like a honey wheat bread. Or, you know, maybe I'll get crackers or something else. But, but I'm a peanut butter and jelly straight up. And whole life, it was grape jelly. Uh, recently, probably within the last 10 years, I've started trying strawberry jam and that's been good. The seedless one only, uh, both of those are, are pretty solid, but I, there's some people I don't get the not having jelly part. Like I'd be very bored with just peanut butter on bread. It's, it's, you know, it'd be very, very tacky to me. I, like I, I need to check out the
1: strawberry jam. It's been quite a while. Honestly, I should probably check it out and see if I want to get back in that game.
0: Smucker's strawberry jam without seeds. It's the way to go. It's really freaking good. Um, but there's other stuff. Like you can do apple jelly if you like apples. That Sometimes I'll do that. Like I mix it up a lot. My, uh, the underrated sandwich that people don't really talk about is a fluff or with marshmallow fluff and peanut butter on a sandwich. And that is the one, hmm. is the only, only occasion where I will use white bread. I don't know why, um, but I have to have white bread in the house. I have to either have marshmallows or fluff which i never do either of those and in the rare circumstance where all of that comes together i will then have a fluff or nutter speaking of fluff (coughs) let's talk about monday night raw yeah let's talk about monday night raw and in order to do that and actually get into this wrestling stuff we talk about on this podcast we have to jump into the the main event and even though you kind of Heed me up for Raw. We can't start with Raw because Raw was not the best thing that happened this week. We actually have to start with SmackDown, where once again, the main storyline, the biggest deal pulling my strings is Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns opened the show, interviewed by Kayla Braxton, and Reigns tore her down in an awesome way after she asked whether he was scared of Kevin Owens. Then he tore her apart again when she asked whether he was manipulating Jay Uso, and Paul Heyman basically had to take over the interview because Reigns was going to lose his shit. The interaction with Reigns and Kayla was pretty great. Owens came down to challenge Reigns right away, but gave him an option to instead fight him at TLC in a TLC match, I think, which they didn't necessarily announce, but that's at least what I took from it. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, Jay accepted the match, and Reigns basically then did too before walking away, even as Owens tried to bait him by calling him a bitch. Jay apologized to Reigns backstage. Reigns told him it's okay, but there's consequences for his actions. Owens later said Reigns is despicable and wanted to call him, a- call him an asshole, but didn't because they're on Fox. Uh, there was a weird interaction with Kalisto, and he was on his phone, and then Otis was there to get Kevin Owens pumped up for their tag team match. The Kalisto thing I think happened two weeks in a row where like he's be- is interrupted someone by accident. I don't really know what they're doing with that, but... This really worked for me. Reigns showing the personality outside of the small orbit of Paul Heyman and Jay Uso. For me, it expanded his character a little bit more. He's not just an asshole to his family and to uh, not his advocate, whatever he is, his advisor, Paul. But he's really going to be an asshole to everyone. And that includes Kayla. And I thought it was pretty funny that they didn't, They they were perfectly fine tearing down Kayla themselves. But when it came to Kevin Owens possibly showing some violence in front of Kayla, they felt it was necessary to apologize to her and protect her for being, I guess, a woman. So it showed this real dichotomy of, you know, how Reigns and Haman see Reigns, where they can do whatever they want. But if someone else does something similar or similarly destructive, let's say, then they're going to fight against it. I, I just thought it was really unique and interesting the way they are b- continue to build his character.
1: Yeah, it, it it made him look like an asshole for not only saying that uh, to Kayla, but then pretending he was being a good guy by not by not wrestling in front of her. Just, just, just every week, you know, it, every week he remains fascinating. They add little bits to the character, does some different things. It, it, it remains great that. Uh, Paul is there as really as his assistant. I mean, it's it's really it, it kind of goes back to we haven't really seen Heyman in this role since probably the CM Punk days, where the, the 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 wrestler was the main guy with the mic and doing all that. We've seen him with Brock for so long. It's a reminder that Heyman can play the the backup guy role uh, pretty well, and and just you know. Reigns was a complete jerk in that segment.
0: And that's exactly, you know, what they wanted to get across. It is now in the main event, we had Kevin Owens and Otis teaming up uh, against Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. And this was interesting off the top, by the way, because Otis has been working with Chad Gable for weeks and Gable was nowhere to be found on yeah. the show. Uh, and then he's teaming up with Owens, which is fine because storyline wise, they they gave us a reason for it. But it was just—I just thought it was a little strange that Gable wasn't even there, not ringside, but maybe backstage, walking with Otis, just nothing. So I don't know. We'll we'll figure out this coming Friday whether that was just a one-off, circumstantial type of deal, or whether maybe they've dropped that storyline. But we'll find out. The penance for Jay putting Reigns in the match at TLC was having to start the tag team match by himself. At least that's what we thought it was. He took a beating early from Kevin Owens and Otis until Reigns made his way down to the ring. Reigns entered without a tag and Superman punched Otis, absolutely destroyed him at ringside with the steel steps, knocking him out of the match. So these guys hate Otis, apparently, for some reason. Uh, Corey Graves actually did a really good job making it clear that even though Reigns jumped in the ring without being tagged, it wasn't a disqualification because neither he nor Otis were the legal men at the time. And that is always important because if not, that's something we'd be complaining about. Like, why was Roman Reigns allowed to do that? No, in in WWE law, you know, or, or in the rule book, you're allowed to do that. If you're not the legal man, you can get involved as long as the other person is also not legal. Reigns uh, later interfered and punched Owens after being taunted. But as Jay went for the Samoan splash for the finish, Reigns forced him to tag in. Instead, Owens hit the stunner on Jay. Reigns jumped into the chokehold on Owens out of the guillotine, and they got a disqualification. Reigns and Jay then took turns drilling Owens with a chair until Dre hit a splash on top of one and like injured his rib area. Then we got into a post-match scenario where it was pretty epic, I got to say. Reigns hit Jay with the chair five different times, put the universal title on Owens' chest, and screamed about Owens trying to split up their family Reigns promised the world was seeing how he dominated Owens and said that he's becoming the monster that Owens said he is. Reigns also promised to take his manhood, take his livelihood, and take everything he loves, and he would ensure that Owens and his family feared Reigns. Like, holy shit, Chris. <laughs> um, I mean, talk about what happened the week prior, right? Talk about what happened on Talking Smack last week. The conversation between Owens and Paul Heyman, the opening of this show, everything we've gotten from Reigns to this point, all the post-match stuff and in-match stuff he's done with Jay and all of the different opportunities on pay-per-view, this was just as good, if not better, than any individual moment that we've gotten from Reigns since his return. I am 1 million percent bought in on this character, I believe Reigns is 1 million percent bought in on his own character. They say the best wrestling characters are yourself dialed up to 12. And I don't think Roman Reigns in reality is an asshole. But he is doing such good character work that I believe Roman Reigns in real life now is an asshole. Does that make sense? Yeah, this this is the most natural
1: someone has sounded on the mic for for them since probably Daniel Bryan's rise or maybe or maybe CM Punk before
0: that like it's just- and, and and by the way I want to interrupt quick. Yeah. I, I want to say, I want to say not just in WWE in wrestling because you yeah. go over to AEW just as a just as a means of example I'm not comparing and contrasting. But you have Cody cut his long promos and it's not scripted but it's something he's prepared, right? And and you can tell like there's certain taglines he's trying to get across. You have John Moxley cut his promos, and and John goes off the cuff, and he's a great promo. But you can also tell like there's things in there that are John Moxley's tongue in cheek, funny type of thing he likes to say. This is not that. This is a guy who is just I'm a piece of shit, and I'm going to tell you I'm a piece of shit, yeah. and it's so refreshing. You know what? Him and Eddie Kingston. Roman Reigns and Eddie Kingston yes, right and now. You know, that that that's the other one. They're, they're right. the two guys. Yeah. They're the two guys where none of it seems forced. Yep. It just, it seems 100% natural. And man, I'm getting, I'm actually getting like a little bit of goosebumps talking about it because that's how good Roman Reigns is right now. He he is, he is the most,
1: he is the most must, must watch thing in wrestling. And that's exactly what we heard from Jack and and Nick and Brian last week on the podcast is that they're not watching wrestling, but they've heard Roman Reigns looks pretty good. And, 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 and Jack is tuning in just to see what Roman Reigns is going to do, because it has been that it has just been that darn good. And, and uh, it's, it's just why, like, you know, the in the storyline now, in terms of how this played out, like it, it's interesting to see Roman snap because He's basically been getting everything he wants so far since he's come back. He got the title. He got the title shot. He's got Jay on his side now. He's just, he's just kind of willing willing things into existence. And and Kevin Owens is not letting that happen. And Kevin Owens is fighting back and pushing back. And he's kind of just like freaking out that it's not going his way right now. And And it's just he's getting that all across incredibly well. It, this is just it's just been so good
0: it's been special
1: um oh and, and one more thing i actually i i i bring this up time to time in terms of the youtube views to kind of see what's popular so right. the the most uh, the so the roman reigns the match highlights 2.7 million views on youtube That's crazy. uh crazy the the uh, uh another part of the match looks uh, the end of the match was 2.2 million views on youtube everything else everything that was non roman was below was five hundred was below five hundred and fifty thousand so this is so, mo- this is more than four times as many people are watching these Roman videos than anything
0: else they're putting on YouTube from smackdown so while while I put credence in that and I'm not saying that that's nothing right the rest of Smackdown was basically blah I mean it wasn't sure. bad it wasn't bad but but, but nothing it, nothing else is almost nothing is ever hitting a million
1: true and, and, and I mean, these and
0: these are hitting true a million no in order for things to really blow up like it, it has to be Truly either controversial or great, right? Like we saw the Lana, Lashley, Rusev wedding stuff. Like yeah. that like all, that whole storyline, every single one of those did millions of views on YouTube. Um, a lot, most things don't. Most things, yes, are in that 500,000 range. But you can have good segments that do really, really well. Seven, eight, nine, hit a million. But SmackDown largely, bes- besides this Roman storyline, I'm not trying to say it's fallen off because the, the content is good. But there's nothing really hitting, like the women's storyline, and we'll talk about it, you know, a little bit later in the show. It's just like, okay, you're really going through the motions here. Like Sasha Banks and Bailey, when they were the tag team, the golden role models, that was killer stuff, right? The Oscar stuff over on Raw, what they were doing mm-hmm. was killer stuff. The women's division has just kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit, and. I think you're noticing that when you go and look at the YouTube views and things like that. And you wonder, well, why is Roman Reigns opening and closing the show? That's why. You know, it's because it is clearly the best gimmick and angle that WWE has going, not just on SmackDown, but on both shows. Now, I don't know. Did you get to see um, Talking Smack after SmackDown? this I did not. I typically don't catch those. Okay. Well, two weeks ago, anyone who did not see it, and if you don't know what I'm referring to with the Roman Reigns Uh, Kevin Owens thing. I I, I, I did see that
1: one. That one, that one made it onto my Twitter timeline. And a lot of people talked about, I did see the, the Heyman Kevin Owens one
0: highly recommended. You you need to go back and see that this week. It's not really the same thing, but Paul Heyman opens talking smack by like apologizing to Kayla. Hmm. And it really hammers home. What I was talking about at the beginning of this segment, Um, the way that they see themselves versus the way they perceive others, Uh, or I should say the way they perceive themselves versus the way they see others. It's very interesting. Now, this TLC match between Owens and Reigns, I think, is going to be insane. And we're looking ahead. You know, this is not the ultimate preview. But these two had an awesome match at the Royal Rumble, like, three years ago, three and a half years ago. And this is going to take it, I think, to another level. I am going to go out on a limb and say that we probably should not vote for match of the year until we see reigns and owens i don't think it's going to be a five star i don't think it'll be a top five match but i do think this is going to be in the upper tier when you talk about the 25 best american matches of the year i think you have an opportunity for reigns and owens to get there i'm very very excited for
1: it yeah it it deserves deserves that
0: shot and uh
1: Yeah, I hope the expectations aren't too high. But after what we got from Roman and Drew at at Survivor
0: Series, I've got pretty high expectations for anything Roman's in right now. Now, let's move over to that lackluster Raw you were talking about, which, you know, I didn't think was a bad episode, Chris, but it was aimless a little bit. It felt to me as if they were continuing their storylines, but didn't necessarily do anything that made an impact. Does that make sense? Is that how you kind of felt?
1: Yeah, it was, you know, coming. I, I thought they did a really good job heading into Survivor Series of kind of setting up stories and a lot of things. And now it feels like we're in that middle ground where the feuds have been set, but we're not at the go home yet.
0: So it's kind of spinning your wheels a bit. Yeah. So I think we're pretty much on the same page. So we actually have a double part of our main event from Raw, and it's kind of just circumstantial. You know, SmackDown, like I said, was the better show. More happens on Raw. So. That's kind of how we got here. We'll start with the continued build for Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles. The show started with the Miz TV with AJ Styles and basically Drew McIntyre both in there. Earlier in the show, Keith Lee threatened Sheamus not to turn on McIntyre. On Miz TV, the heels joke that either Styles would beat McIntyre or Miz would cash in at the pay-per-view. Then they impersonated Sheamus. And to be fair, the impersonations were kind of funny. Uh, I did Yeah, <laughs> Morris is funny. <laughs> Morrison and Miz, I, I got to say, man, I was criticizing them when they were on SmackDown for a while, right? Well, because they, they, really they, yeah,
1: they were doing like pranks and stuff. They're, they're, they're better at this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, they, they especially since going to Raw, but even on the tail end of the SmackDown run, they are great. And Morrison is popping me week after week. And and on, and on by the way, he was the MVP of this episode, I have to say, yeah. because not only was he good on the mic, this guy bumped his ass off in the match. It was ridiculous. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, let me finish this part of the segment. Uh, again, this was pretty funny, them impersonating Sheamus. Sheamus. Sheamus comes out, threatens them. Then McIntyre comes down, cuts a pretty lackluster, scripted promo, very obviously scripted. Uh, Styles dips out of the ring and the faces clear the ring of Ms. and Morrison. McIntyre then grabs Miz's Money in the Bank briefcase and he chucks it. (laughs) from the ring all the way to the set. And he legitimately busted one of the screens on the Tron. And if you go on Twitter, you check out Drew McIntyre's account. This was actually posted right before we started the show. He took a picture of the busted screen. He's like, rest in peace. Like, you know, you served us really well. It was hysterical. He, he, He jacked that thing. And I know it's not made of metal and it's not heavy. And I know Drew is a strong, muscular man, and I know the ring is on an elevation, but I never expected to see that. It ended up being a totally unplanned, really funny moment that he just threw this thing. Sheamus is laughing his ass (laughs) off. Miz runs up the ramp, to go get the briefcase. I don't know if you thought someone else was going to steal it or something. Well,
1: based, based on the Otis feud, uh, they yeah, they
0: kind of they kind of believe that that's how it works. It, it was just dude, I was laughing like this was a segment that was mediocre and it just un- unintentionally became really good. Yeah, no, it, and that was such an impressive throw. Not only the
1: distance, but the accuracy. Right. Like it's hard to throw a briefcase, you know, you're kind of turning and stuff like that. That was that was just one of those feats of strength that, that it was funny, but it also just makes it, it makes uh, Drew look like an even more imposing
0: figure. It does. And it was just, it was just funny. I mean, to throw something with a handle, like, yeah, that's really the thing. If you want to throw all of us, or at least you and I know that you and I could, we could chuck a ball at that screen. and, And if it was heavy enough, it would probably cause the same damage, but to sidearm a briefcase, with a handle and nail it, right? It was just crazy. <laughs> I was I'm so impressive. It was crazy. All right. Uh, we get to the match. It was a handicap match AJ Styles, The Miz, and John Morrison against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Sheamus accidentally hit McIntyre early in the match outside the ring, but then Morrison flew over the top rope. They caught him simultaneously and like yeeted his ass over the announce table. I think it was a fall away slam. And they just threw him right over the announce table and he landed in Tom Phillips chair. It was again, unintentional, I think, and really freaking funny. The faces got a ton of offense early until the heels got their numbers advantage over McIntyre got the hot tag late in the match threw Morrison across the ring a number of times, then flipped him over his head in that, you know, belly to belly overhead suplex. And Morrison did a 360 and landed on his stomach. It was freaking crazy. As I said, Morrison sold his ass off in this match. It was the rock, you know, style. It it was incredible. Shawn Michaels equivalent, what Morrison did in this match. There were some more heel antics. Sheamus eventually caught McIntyre with a bro kick, and then Styles came in, hit Sheamus with the phenomenal forearm, and got the win, which was my expected finish. Tom Phillips did a great job selling that Styles was undefeated since joining Raw after getting that win. Those are the little touches I talk about all the time. I wish he wasn't, he had not done it while the music was blaring and while all the guys were yelling, it kind of got drowned out. I assume many of you didn't even hear him say it, but it's, it's stuff like that. When we're talking about selling Becky and Sasha Banks and Banks not being able to defend the title and all these things, it's important because it gets over, hey, not only is Styles going up against McIntyre for the title, Styles actually hasn't lost in three months. And those things are all extremely important. So, Chris, I really enjoyed the match. I thought all five guys worked really hard. The finish was the right finish. And for again, what I thought was a lackluster show, they built this correctly.
1: Yeah, I really like. I really like the dynamic of the challenger and the money and the bank holder working together. It, it, it makes perfect sense. AJ, you know, obviously thinks it'd be easier to beat Miz. Miz is okay with that because he wants to get the title. And, and and it's just a really just a really good dynamic between all of them. And it makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I just it, it it's it's solid. It, it's just it's been solid for a couple of weeks. It's kind of the I guess you'd call this the main event feud on on Raw. And then I assume we're getting to the post match here.
0: Yeah, we'll go right into the post match. McIntyre confronts Sheamus backstage. I think before that, Sheamus was doing an interview and they're like, you know, are you worried that Drew's going to attack you? He was like, I expect it. You know, yeah. um, You know, and so McIntyre did. He confronted him. Uh, Sheamus made sure that McIntyre knew the bro kick was not intentional. Uh, but McIntyre said Sheamus knew what was going to happen. They go to commercial. They come back from commercial. They're beating the hell out of each other right in the catering area. Pat Buck, the agent, one of the agents backstage, broke them up. So they just got pissed at him for stopping their fighting and double choke slammed him through a table. And that was a pretty brutal table spot. I mean, he took a really hard bump. Uh, then right after that, they kind of looked at each other, shrugged, made up, decided to go get a pint. So they built this as a brotherly brawl type of deal. You get upset at your brother, you fight it out. Then you make up at the end. I thought it was pretty solid because they keep kind of teasing that like, yeah, Seamus, he's been a heel. He's just going to turn on McIntyre in the end. But they're kind of saying, no, that's really not what they're doing here. Uh, we're selling them as legitimate friends. And I love the idea. That the WWE champion, a face, not only has a friend who's a heel, but has a friend he can trust who's a heel, where he doesn't always have to look behind his back for Sheamus. Now, look, I say this, maybe Sheamus turns at some point. Maybe they end up fighting at the Royal Rumble. Maybe it's a scenario where they stay friends, but Sheamus is like, look, dude, I've had your back. I deserve an opportunity. And they do a rare face versus face, although Sheamus is maybe a little bit more of a tweener type of match at the Royal Rumble or the pay-per-view in between. So I don't know exactly what they're doing with the storyline, but a couple things are being set up. One is a potential match between them, but without them breaking their friendship. Two is if McIntyre does drop the title for one reason or another, a future tag team is being set up between them. And that's a very, very strong main event level tag team that can elevate a title that is basically being lost right now on Raw. So no matter how you slice it, I really like the friendship angle. It's unique. It's a little bit different. It's helping McIntyre get over. It's really helping Sheamus get over. And it's giving an additional layer to this storyline. Do you agree? So, yeah, when this first started and
1: and Sheamus hits Drew and and Drew's mad, I was like, oh, man, are are we really going to do? Oh, I didn't mean to hit you. No, you knew what you did. They fight. And it's just kind of a typical, you know, story that they do all the time. Didn't like it. Plus, there was nothing on the line. I didn't get why Drew was so upset. It was just, just a tag match. But then when they come back and they're fighting each other, and I'm like, well, I, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then it turns out that they were like, kind of, you just got, they just got to get it out of their system and fight each other from time to time. I loved it. I love this idea of the two friends that just, they just got to get it out with each other a couple times and they're still good. Like, like that's how dudes are a lot of the time. <laughs> and 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 so... Just, I really, really liked it, and I really, I am sure we'll get Seamus challenging him at some point. I really hope they slow play this as long as they can, because I think there's a lot of potential with these two as friends that they can build up for a while. And we know they're friends, and they've been telling us that they came in together, knew each other, but on screen they haven't been together very long here. So we 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 need we need to kind of build up a lot of that, so when that eventually comes. We 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 can feel it like like the Sasha Bailey thing basically, and and, right. and so um, ended up loved didn't like it at the start. Loved how they ended up playing it out, and 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 uh, I think there's a lot of potential between these two um, where they can go. So yeah, uh, just another thing with these guys. This main event, this main event
0: story that I think was really well done. Yeah, I mainly just thought this was a really good piece of booking, like. It didn't take us anywhere in terms of Styles or Miz or Morrison. That was just spinning the wheels. But it took us somewhere with McIntyre and Sheamus. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what that's going to be. But, you know, we can't complain about WWE not doing long-term storytelling. And then when they give us things, elements that possibly look like they're going to be part of a long-term story... Be like, oh, well, this doesn't make sense. No, well, you got to see where they take you, right? Like there's people complaining about like individual things that happened on SmackDown that we'll get into and like, why are they doing this? But clearly they have plans here, right? Yep. So, you know, I think what we talk about and what we talked about really at the beginning of this podcast back when we started in March, April was, man, they're really not doing long term storytelling and, and it's the bookings in a rut. You know, you got to give some credit for trying. And then you got to give legitimate credit for execution. And there have been some things that WWE's tried and failed and we've criticized them for it. But there's been many things that they've tried and executed and they deserve a lot of credit when that happens. And so far, so good with McIntyre and Sheamus. I'm, they have me as a wrestling fan wondering where they're going with it. And not just that, when I see them on the screen, it's entertaining. And, so and, yeah,
1: and that's they, all that matters. Mm-hmm.
0: And, no, and they have me caring about them
1: as a group. I'm not just thinking, oh, storyline, where's this gonna go? They are genuinely friends, and I'm I like seeing them be friends together. <laughs> on my That's the other
0: thing. They're genuinely friends. Yeah. Right. Just like by the way, Chad Gable and Otis are friends a- in real life. So the fact that they get to work together, you know, we're not seeing them on screen a lot, but if we start to, there may be that genuine, oh wow, these guys really do work together because they actually have a relationship, right? And whether it's even as whether it's as a team, eventually, and maybe they become a tag team, or whether it's as opponents down the line, or probably both, that chemistry is always really important. And you see it with Sasha Banks and Bailey. Why do you think they're so good together? Well, number one, they're great wrestlers. Number two, they're legitimately friends in real life. So these things all help, right? Just like Charlotte and um, Becky Lynch is another great example. But all right, let's move off of this into the third part of our main event. Randy Orton, he wants in the Firefly Funhouse. And it seemed like they were booking the entire show for him to wind up in the Firefly Funhouse, but it never happened. So I thought that was a little strange. But Orton opened saying in a promo that others may be scared of the Fiend. He's not. He wants to confront Bray Wyatt in the Funhouse. Uh, Wyatt pops up on the screen in the Funhouse and hosted a game show that I thought was decently funny as he tried to get the other characters in the Funhouse to help him decide what the stipulation will be for The Fiend versus Orton at TLC. Again, something that they talked about, but never actually did. They never gave us a stipulation. Orton interrupted him while he was talking, demanded a match with Wyatt, Bray Wyatt, not The Fiend, later in the show. So they ended up giving us that for the main event later in the show. And this is the first time they've done this. Ramblin' Rabbit visited Orton in his dressing room (laughs) and kind of talked some shit, said that Bray Wyatt... Was ready for him. So we've seen the characters like stalking people before, but we've never really seen them just like confront someone face to face. So I thought that was pretty funny that we saw that kind of in real life. And Orton didn't sell it as if like he opened the door to see if Bray Wyatt was there. You know what I mean? It just it it worked for him. Yeah. We get into the match. Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt. Wyatt hit Orton with his own back body drop onto the desk. He chased Byron Saxton down, grabbed the headset. and He sent, sent the show to commercial break. That was pretty funny. Uh, It popped me. Wyatt was all over Orton for most of the match until Orton countered Sister Abigail into a neckbreaker. He then hit his own back body drop into the announce table, countered Sister Abigail again with a thumb to the eye, hit his draping DDT, and then hit the RKO as the lights all went out and the referee began to count the fall. When the lights came back on, Orton was on top of the Fiend instead of just the Bray Wyatt version, got locked into the mandible claw, and Raw went off the air. That is what I'm talking about, Chris. Like you can say maybe to start the show, this thing was slow. Maybe you didn't love the match, but I loved that finish so freaking much. You don't want Orton to beat Wyatt, but you can't have Orton lose before TLC. You can make the argument, well, why even have this match in the first place? The only reason to have the match was to get the finish that we got. Yeah, Orton gets over by being on the cusp of victory. He was just about to beat Bray Wyatt, so it's almost as good as if he had actually won, yet The Fiend gets to flex his power. For me, this was a total win, top to bottom. Yeah, like I said, parts of it, maybe not the best, but the finish to that, the finish of Raw, the cliffhanger of that entire thing, that is what I'm all about. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it.
1: Yeah, so like, I like when they have Bray matches because there's so many different things you can do with them. It it, it allows you to to try different things and, and and put Bray the Fiend to different positions without having to uh, hurt the Fiend at all. And this is exactly it. And honestly, I I, I rewound at, like when Rob went off there, I rewound it and like counted the seconds it took for the lights to come back on. And my only thought is that had to be. Pre-taped that that end because it was like it was like five to seven seconds that that Bray would have had to take off the clothes he had on and put on the mask and presumably the eye paint. I, I believe that goes under it. That's why. That's paint. why. That's for me why it worked. Yeah. No. It 100 worked. I was just yeah. like, man. Like they had they had to be. I, I don't think that part was live, but I don't care. It was. It was
0: awesome. But, so let me pause really quick, okay, and I'll let you finish. But that's why it was great because. Look, if you are a wrestling fan and you're just watching the show and you don't go on forums and you don't go on Twitter, you're like, oh my God, that was freaking awesome, right? But a lot of wrestling fans, they try to think themselves out of of certain storylines. Yeah. It's like, well, obviously that wasn't live because they had to pre-tape it because they never could have done that in 30 seconds. No shit, man. Right. Right? Like, like, it's wrestling. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I'm not saying that you're not saying this, but you have to suspend the disbelief period in the entire sports entertainment genre. Right. So the fact that they allow me to enjoy something like that is great. If you're thinking, if if you're watching that and your takeaway was that so stupid, he never could have done that in 30 seconds. It must have been pre-taped and therefore it wasn't live and it wasn't good. F you. No, no. no yeah, just seriously, exactly. f you if that's your take. No,
1: yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I'm the guy who wants them to do more cinematic matches and everything. Like, really lean. Yeah, into it. and I like I, I popped at that that ending. That camera work when they come back on and oh, you only I'm see proud. Randy and they pan out and then Brazer or the Fiend is there. So good, so good. I just I was like, it was so good that I had to rewind it like like, like a magician and be like, wait, how did they get it done? Because it was that good and it, it got me. So I,
0: I I really liked it and. Yeah, I, I just want to clarify. I was not talking about you. No, no, no. I was, no, you're right. Yeah,
1: and right. I can—that I, was one of the first things I said. So I can understand why that comes to mind. That—that that was not my initial reaction to it. Right. But without a doubt, I was just—I just—I
0: saw people stuff. being like, "Eh, you know, I don't. Ah, oh, man, this fiend stuff doesn't work for me." It's like if you don't like the fiend, that's fine. I'm—I'm ne- I'm just like with uh, Matt Riddle. I'm never going to argue about someone's taste. But when it comes to legitimate criticism versus illegitimate criticism, criticizing that for the reasons I mentioned is illegitimate.
1: Yeah, that's all. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, and then uh, other things I have in my notes. More people should just ask for matches more often. <laughs> that's like that's how this match got set up. It w- they do. Uh, I think it was it was Randy, right, who asked Braver match, and then Bray was like, "I accept." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess you don't need to just do uh, evil things to get a match set up. You just ask somebody for it and you get it." So Absolutely. I thought that was, I thought that just made sense. It was good. When uh, Bray was doing his uh, game show host voice, there were several times where he really sounded like Gorilla Monsoon, and and I wondered if that's what he was going for, or if that was just me hearing something, but I just, I wrote that down because he really sounded like uh, Gorilla a couple times, um, and uh, yeah, no, just overall really good, and again, like once or twice a month, I think you should have Bray Wyatt in a match, match. Because there's just a lot of different things that you can do with it that are separate from The Fiend.
0: I think they're making very smart decisions with The Fiend ever since bringing him over to Raw, right? It was getting pretty tired over on SmackDown that this guy was never on TV. I mean, he, he had Firefly Funhouse and stuff, but they never wrestled, right? And it's a two hour show. So they had a lot of other things. Putting The Fiend on Raw gives him a greater breath to interact with other superstars, interfere in matches, giving him Alexa bliss, by the way, it allows it to cross over two divisions, the women and the men. And it it opens opportunities to have The Fiend or Bray Wyatt, whichever incarnation you want, wrestle on television in main mm-hmm. events that people will watch. So I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, The Fiend doesn't have to wrestle at every pay-per-view. He should not wrestle at every Raw. But if you get a couple additional appearances on TV, that should theoretically, we don't know what the ratings are, but it should theoretically help. And it's a good way to get the character working. And I think WWE on Raw, one of the reasons things have been better the last month, I guess, last three weeks at least, is Fiend and Alexa Bliss. And they are figuring out ways to utilize them that are fresh and different Because of all those things I just mentioned, because they have a longer show, they can do more stuff, they have Bliss helping Fiend and also integrating the Fiend into the women's division. Again, if you don't like the Fiend, not going to argue with you. But as someone who does like the Fiend, I enjoy what they're doing with it. Yep, me too. Okay, let's move on to everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown. This past week, over on SmackDown, we had a Pat Patterson tribute match, Brian. Rey Mysterio and Big E defeating Dolph Ziggler, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Sami Zayn. The reason I'm pointing this out and bringing it up on top is number one, of course, rest in peace, Pat Patterson. I already kind of said that on our Thursday episode last week. And after we talk about this match, if you have anything you want to say, certainly can throw that in there as well. But this match was a banger. I mean, this thing tore the freaking house down. A six man tag normally doesn't do that, but they went out of their way to do a memorial match with six former intercontinental champions, and it was just a lot of fun. Everyone got their stuff in. Big E took a hell of a shoulder, threw the ropes into the ring post. Zane hit a great blue thunderbomb on Mysterio. Brian and Ziggler were awesome together with a hurricanrana into a sunset flip, into reversals, into pinning combinations. Zane tagged himself in blind with Brian concentrating on Ziggler, and it looked like he was going to get another one over on a face. But Brian got the yes lock on Zane. Zane fought to the ropes. He then hit a great brain buster for a near fall. By the way, kudos to WWE for bringing the brain buster back. It was gone for a while, but they're allowed to do it again, it seems. Uh, Brian rolled up Zane for another close fall. Then Brian finally got him in a cradle, just like Pat Patterson used to do for the win. They did a post match with the faces all taking out Ziggler, classic WWE face stuff. Uh, he sold an atomic drop like freaking Rick Rude does. It, it, Ziggler sold his ass off just as much as Morrison did on Raw. And they all did the yes chant while pointing to the sky for Pat Patterson. So this was a great booking. It was a great match. And it was a great tribute, Chris. I thought they did Pat Patterson proud. And I thought they all did themselves proud by booking something that was a lot of fun on a show that was not a special show. You know, it was they're still building towards a pay-per-view. But they managed to do something very special with all six of these guys.
1: Yeah, man, I I, I was... um. I know you've already kind of addressed the Pat Patterson stuff, but uh, man, just sad, just an absolute legend, a, a trailblazer, a guy who just, you you hear so many stories. Everybody has just great stories about him, things they did. And, and, and I'm not surprised they would do something like this match, considering especially how much he meant to Vince McMahon and all the stories you hear from the wrestlers about going over to Vince's house and him and Pat Patterson. And sometimes Vince Russo were just booking the show, just, by Vince's pool or something like that. Obviously, Patterson meant a lot to the McMahon family, so I'm not surprised they did this. I love the touch of having the old Intercontinental belt out there. And honestly, it kind of looks like the current belt. And I don't remember the the, the current IC belt that we hate. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd never actually seen or at least remembered that original Intercontinental belt. And I don't know if when WWE announced the new Intercontinental belt, that they said it's meant to kind of reflect the original, but I feel like that was a way they could have done it to, to make the, make the, make it not shitty. Yeah. To make the belt that we hate seem a lot better. Uh, that stuck out when I saw the, the belt there, but, uh, yeah, fun match. Um, the, the, the Pat Patterson video was, was really nice as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, just good match. Good seeing everything. Biggie's got some new things going on now. Uh, at least I think it was new. I hadn't seen it before with the with the chalk and the in the new song as well. So it looks so like- the ch-
0: the chalk is a throwback to his yes. original gimmick. when yes. he debuted as Biggie Langston. Yes, Uh he did the chalk. He did the five count. I mean, I would love to see the five count come back. I don't think they're gonna do that. But so that so was it's a, bit a of great a- gimmick. That is a great gimmick. The five count. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Uh But you can't do it these days because they try to protect people too much. Yeah. So it worked maybe back then for him like initially, but. WWE could never sustain that. Unfortunately, I wish yeah. they could. Um, so that was the chalk. The entrance theme is actually Wale. Uh, mm. Cut it for him, which is great. And it's really good. I, couldn't, was su- I couldn't quite make it out.
1: It was hard yeah. to hear.
0: It was really awesome. The new logo is obviously good. They, they're selling a shirt for it. That's nice. He was still wearing New Day tights. In fact, I don't think people realize this, but New Day still is matching their tights. So the... Version of the tights that he wore the new day rocks tights he wore that Friday the other new day members wore them on Monday so even though they're separate and even though they're kind of giving him some individuality, he's still kind of part of the new day universe, which I really appreciate because you know those guys don't really want to be separate yeah so
1: yeah but he he needed to get away from the song and have his own deal I think the chalk is a great setup i, I I'll have to Hear the song in another situation, get to get a real sense of it. I just I kind of had no reaction to it. I will say though the the three ain't enough, man. I need five theme from the from the five count gimmick mm-hmm. is a great entrance song. And I, I don't know if I don't know if it was CFOs or, or if you could remix it or something like that. But just the the the, the beat uh, for that. So I, obviously Wally did a great. I'm sure it's great. It's Wally. It's really but, good. It's really good. I haven't heard it clean, but yeah, it's really good. Um. But 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 I just I really liked that. I just want to say I really love the I Need Five uh, song. I have it on like my workout playlist and stuff. Oh, so, really? So <laughs> it, it, it's good to see it's good to see Biggie getting
0: individualized again because I, I think he needed that. Where did you see, by the way, that the titles were similar? I'm just looking at them briefly. They're not they're not dissimilar. Like I do see that it's rounded a little bit. The other one had a rounded part.
1: It was more um, oval kind. Of, it looked a yeah. little, this is just my, this is just my perception seeing it. I was like, oh, because when I think about the inner belt, you think about the, you know, the, the classic one that forever that they had for a while, but I I'd never actually seen the original. I was like, oh, this looks more like the current one than I would have thought. I would uh, say
0: that looking at it, it looks, it looks like it's almost kind of a mash between both. Yeah. Maybe. Now that I'm seeing it. Um. And I, I don't know. Uh, the new one sucks. Like I just, I got. It does. Say, I'm, it, just it, it, I, I'm just <laughs>
1: saying. I'm just
0: I, as someone who had never seen the
1: original Intercontinental Belt, if they had said, "Hey, yeah. we're trying to. We're, this is this is a modern throwback to the original," and then just kind of give us a reason for it and kind of put something behind it, I think we would have thought it sucked less. But they didn't, and we liked the Intercontinental Belt they had, so it was just yeah. kind of a mess.
0: It's just, it's just such a. Like, I'm, I'm just scrolling through because I wanted to see, you know, what you were talking about while we were while we were going through it. I'm just scrolling through Google images of like all the intercontinental titles. Man, it's I, I, there was one that they used, I think, in the 2000s, with the blue globe behind it. That was worse, you know, definitely worse than this. But this thing is so crappy. And I think what makes it even worse than the design is that it seems like it's cheaply made based on how it looks. And then it clangs around when they carry it and, and yeah. stuff. It's just, man, like out of all the WWE main roster titles, I know people don't love the tag team ones. I don't mind them. I know people don't love the men's and women's titles just because it's a big WWE. I actually think those are very smart and very nice looking. But I mean, it's this in the 24-7 title in a battle for a worse title on the main roster. Yeah. It just is. They're really not good. All right, let's move on with actually things that happened on these shows. Uh, Bobby Lashley back on Raw defeated Jeff Hardy in a non-title match. Riddle was in full comedy mode backstage before the match. He suggested he and Hardy become the Hardy bros, and Jeff was actually kind of into it a little bit, but ditched him as the match was beginning. MVP was interfering on Lashley's behalf, so Riddle ran down to even the sides and cheered Jeff on. Hardy used his whole repertoire for multiple two counts. He had a twist of fate, but he was too slow to get the swanton. Lashley was able to dodge him, catch him with the spear, lock in the hurt lock, and get the win. Riddle was really pissed. Lashley wouldn't break the hold. He came in to save Hardy. This match, dude, was a surprise banger to me. Uh, Jeff Hardy and Bobby Lashley, I mean, it wasn't a surprise that they're both great wrestlers, but they gave him a lot of time. They both put in a lot of moves. It was really built strong as a match. Riddle and MVP were both very loud and vocal at ringside. I think that helped. At least for me, it sold the action as intense and there was It felt like something was at stake, even though there really wasn't. It was a non-title match. I have to believe Riddle's going to get the United States title shot. But it's so weird, this whole booking, because it looked like Keith Lee was going to do it based on their interaction in those elimination matches. Then Lee's just backstage on this week's show. Doesn't have anything to do. Riddle's now getting the opportunity. But they're basically one week away from the pay-per-view. They haven't booked the match. Jeff Hardy has a match with Bobby Lashley seemingly for no reason whatsoever. And what it felt like coming out of the match was happening was they were building Hardy and Riddle as a tag team, not building Riddle as a number one contender. So this is a good example of good wrestling, but somewhat poor booking because it did not advance the storyline really in a meaningful way other than Riddle just starting to hate MVP more than he already did.
1: Yeah, the match was great. And, and Bobby Lashley, I'm I have going to nominate him for one of the awards that we're going to have uh, later on. Um, but I, my thought was maybe they wanted to do Keith Lee, but they've changed their mind because the Riddle backstage stuff was going over well, and now they want to do Riddle. I, I don't know. That's my only thought as to why things seem to kind of have switched here. I, I don't know. I, I kind of just had no reaction
0: to the booking because I just, I don't under, I don't know where it's really going here. It seems to me that was the case, but maybe I just kind of got misled there. Maybe the, you know, Lashley, Keith Lee finish was just to get one of them advanced, just to get Keith Lee advanced without allowing him to beat Lashley. I don't know. I, I it was really strange that whole booking, but going with Riddle, I don't mind Riddle Lashley. I would love for Riddle to win the United States championship. Cause the truth is Lashley hasn't defended the damn thing. It's meaningless right now. It's, it's just, it's undefended. It's unimportant and putting it on riddle at least. Yeah. Maybe he's being a comedy character right now, but we know the guy can bang. Like we know he can wrestle. We saw the Seamus match, right? We know this guy can go. So put it on riddle or even if you don't, even if you have Lashley beat riddle, then build up Keith Lee for a title match at the Royal rumble or, or, at some point ahead of time. I mean, I would much rather have Keith Lee in the Royal Rumble and actually win the Royal Rumble. But as long as Lee's involved in something significant, that's what I want going forward. I want Riddle involved. I want Lee involved. Lashley does not need the US title anymore. He is built up in a main event caliber way. There, there's just a plethora of main event to upper mid-card dudes on Raw. We talk about it all the time. They really overloaded that division and really should have put a couple more people over on SmackDown. And maybe they will do that via the Royal Rumble. We talked about it previously, how maybe instead of the Royal Rumble winner being the person who challenges for a title on their own show, it's someone who crosses brands. It would make a lot of sense if it was someone from Raw going over to SmackDown in that regard. We'll find out. But back to the match, the action was good. Lashley, Hardy, Riddle, Lee, these guys all work really well. And it's nice to see different kind of combinations of them. And Hardy, Lashley was not something I expected, not something I necessarily thought they would go all the way with, but it was pretty damn entertaining. Moving over to the women's division, we'll start with SmackDown. Sasha Banks and Carmella had a face-to-face on the Titantron. Uh, This wasn't necessarily bad, Chris. The story idea was good and both looked like damn stars. They told a good story, but it is so overly scripted and written out line by line, that watching it, you're just wishing it was more real. You're wishing that these lines weren't canned. Michael Cole, when he does these, he's the absolute worst. I mean, Cole does things good, right? When he is left to his own devices and can do commentary his own way, he is extremely talented. But in these canned interview settings where he's literally reading a line off a script and then waiting for someone to recite a line back to him, and then waiting for his next cue to read another line off the script. This shit is just terrible. It's not natural. You want to do interviews the right way, put Michael Cole in the ring, have these women come into the ring, have one of them on a Tron, one of them in the ring. Do something else other than the stupid freaking screen by screen, or even if it's not screen by screen, Michael Cole interviewing someone else on a screen. He's the worst at doing them. They are the worst at delivering them. So despite storyline-wise this being okay and the ending, Carmella and Sasha Banks both did a very good job in their last lines. It actually sold the match and the aggression between the two a bit decent. 90% of it for me was total garbage. At the first part of this, I didn't even think they were
1: filming the two segments at the same time. Like it almost felt like they were separately and someone was just waiting for a cue to like make their reaction point. And eventually it started going back and forth and I got it. But that that just that's how fake it sounded. That's at, exactly at the beginning. right. And yep. it was just it's not it. This isn't the strong suit for either of them giving like long like they're they can be good on the mic in situations, not like sit down interviews where they're delivering the most canned lines you've ever heard. Um, yeah, this is just not great. And 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 frankly, you know, Sasha coming off of a title win and a title defense and being on the Mandalorian briefly and getting all this stuff, I'm I'm surprised they're not just doing more with her. That's just these interview segments that are just yeah, not good.
0: Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Just really not good. And it's really both women's divisions on Raw and SmackDown and Look, by the time we get to TLC, I'm sure the Sasha Banks Carmella match is going to be good because Carmella stepped her game up. Let's not forget. No, has... they're,
1: they're both yeah, they're both good at a lot of things. I just I think
0: this format is not helping either it, of them. It's not conducive to a good promo and not having Mike, Michael Cole doing it is the worst. Like it, even if they just had Corey Graves do it, it would have been a little bit more natural. It still wouldn't have been good, but it would have been a little bit better. But it just seems like now that the Sasha Banks Bailey Oscar storyline, which is really when that reached its peak. Now that that's over, it just kind of seems like everyone's just like waiting in the water and just waiting for something monumental, waiting for Charlotte to come back, waiting for Becky to come back. And nothing is really hitting into high gear. A little bit more credit on Raw because it seems like they at least have a direction they're going in that's a bit stronger, but it's not really the one that I I think either of us would choose. You had Asuka defeat Shayna Baszler in a one-on-one match. We finally get Asuka versus Shayna Baszler. And instead of a raw title match two months ago on a pay-per-view, it's a random singles non-title match on television. The match was good, as you would expect. Asuka hit a code breaker. Baszler blocked an arm bar. Asuka countered a Kirifuda clutch and tried to put the Asuka lock in. And then right as she did that, Nia Jax ran Lana into the ring post outside. Lana escaped from Jax and pushed her into the steel steps. And then her her, 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 her into the announce table. That was pretty cool. Baszler was incensed. Asuka caught her from behind, you guessed it, with a roll-up pinfall. (laughs) The booking was fine, uh, with the faces now having three straight wins entering the title match at TLC. Surely that's going to result in the heels winning, retaining, probably pinning Lana. But this was so, so, so typical from a booking standpoint. Next week, we're getting Lana and Nia Jax, which they announced, but I would have predicted it even if they didn't announce it. I'm sure that's going to be another roll up or a surprise win. Maybe Lana wins via DQ or count out. It'll probably be. Lana was freaking out, scared. She can't win. Asuka's there pumping her up backstage. Jax then showed up and basically stared down Lana afterwards. So it's not that this is bad, but you have the Raw Women's Champion who it feels like has not defended the title in three months. Again, not defending the title. You have her and Lana in a tag team title match. Now, can we give WWE an excuse? Do we think that it was Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke being built for this? Mandy got hurt. Maybe Asuka had a different feud. They decided to hold that off. Maybe it was Asuka versus Reckoning. That was the plan. But they paused that. They're going with the tag team situation. And, you know, that's kind of where they're going. Maybe. They're, they're going in the tag team direction for Asuka and Lana as a way to save the injury storyline and just kind of push things forward. But for me, I want to see Asuka, Shayna Baszler in a one on one match for the title. I wouldn't mind if Shayna Baszler won the title, but they're in this weird booking scenario right now where you have the two most prominent challengers to Asuka in Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax sitting as the women's tag team champions. It you really can't start the feuds with Asuka. And so they lose the titles, but they also don't have anyone on Raw right now to lose the titles too, primarily because Mandy Rose got injured. So my hope is that WWE is doing this to make the best of a bad situation, that being Mandy Rose's injury, that once this is over, Mandy Rose is able to come back and wrestle. Her and Dana Brooke will be able to take the tag team titles off Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. And then the Raw women's title picture can move forward. With Asuka getting legitimate challengers and honestly losing the title at some point because Asuka is getting still as raw women's champion as much as we love her in that role. She's had it all the way basically since Money in the Bank, not counting the one week switcheroo with Sasha Banks. It is time to freshen up this division. And I think it does need to be Shayna Baszler or candidly Nia Jax stepping into that role.
1: Yeah, it, it, it feels like they're in a weird spot with Asuka and they had plans and they can't do the plans and and you know, but it, it, it's it's it been quite a while now and she hasn't done much of anything. I don't think this, I'm not super into the Lana thing. It just kind of is what it is. But I, I really like Nia and Shayna together. They they had that promo before the match, the, the pep talk type of deal, <laughs> mentioning getting the front and the back looking like the same thing and Nia making the comment about boobs on the back or something like that. It was funny. I, I really like these two together and I'd love more just like, bits with them i I think it adds to both of their characters a lot and they're two wrestlers who i think kind of need more character work so um yeah you know it kind of this is kind of is what it is i get why they have to kind of do this because they need something and and there just aren't a lot of women and there are no women tag teams it's a problem with having the division so um you know, I, I I like that they announced it'll be Nia Lana. so they kind of gave us Lana's reaction to that, and because we we're all kind of expecting a certain thing to happen, so we'll we'll see what happens next week. I think they gave you a reason to like ha- pay attention next week or have something to look forward to next week. But uh, overall, it's just kind of it's kind of. Eh.
0: One of the weirdest things in WWE the last two months is that I somehow like Nia Jax. I don't, <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't like Nia Jax to the degree that like, I want to see her as champion for six months, right? Or I want her individually cutting promos or anything like that. But they have figured out this combination with Shayna Baszler where Nia Jax is entertaining. And they were on Raw Talk and I didn't see it yet. I haven't watched the Raw Talk from this week, but I did get to see just one clip of Nia bringing up like, and her and Shayna actually bringing up, like since when did being popular on Instagram and TikTok make someone a good wrestler. And, and they're using that against Lana, like for reasons they don't like her. And it just makes sense. And they're simultaneously funny, but yet aggressive together. And they went from hating each other to supporting each other. I I just, I can't actually articulate it. But Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax as this tag team, as the champions, I thought it was a terrible booking decision initially because I thought they both needed to be singles to go after Asuka. And I still do believe that. But it was not a bad booking decision because they needed a strong team to be the ones to take the titles off Sasha Banks and Bayley. Yep, They got a very strong team. We knew that's why they did it at the time. But the fact that they didn't make them a transitional champion, they've now had the titles for multiple months and they haven't defended them frequently, but they have occasionally. I mean, I would love to see them go down to NXT, defend the titles. I I would love for them to have another month or so with these titles, defend them a couple times, and then yes, yes, drop them to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. But it's just shocking to me that Nia Jax is not as abhorrent as she was
1: three months ago. I I think they could make these two really fun together. I'm not saying you do Viking Raiders- Street Profits types of skits, but they've got <laughs> they've got chemistry together. And considering there are really no challengers for their belts, instead of shoehorning some people together, I'd love to see them, you know, they win the, the match at TLC and then they just kind of spend a month just doing, you know, like Daniel Bryan Kane type of stuff. Like I like I, I think there's a real I like neither of these characters have really worked individually. I love Shana and Great Russell and all that stuff, but obviously it hasn't clicked. They had her lose at uh, it was it WrestleMania or something like that. They haven't really pulled the trigger. Nia's had her ups and downs. I think I just I think they're really good together. And I think you could have a lot of fun with it and do something and really add to both of them. So I hope they stay champs for a while. And I hope they kind of can can do some stuff with them because I really think they have a lot of potential.
0: And by the way, when you eventually do break them up, Because, I mean, is not huge, but she's a big time technical wrestler and she's very talented. And I feel like she would work extremely well with Nia Jax. So mm-hmm. I think there's so- something there. But, you know, again, WWE needs to spend the time investing in this women's division right now, because, you know, if, if it's not a title match or if it's not the title feud, very rarely are we getting something. Yeah, we did get something else on Raw. We'll talk about it in a minute. But that's a three hour show. So they need to have more than just one women's match. On SmackDown, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think we're kind of stuck in this rut. No, I am wrong because they did have another, they had a SmackDown women's match separately, but we're getting like one women's match a week and then like one backstage segment per show where that's not WWE, that's AEW. You get one match, 90 minutes in and that's it. NXT, you got like four women's segments. I don't need, I don't necessarily think you have to go go and do that depending on what the storylines are, but on Raw and SmackDown. There should be two or three segments a week. And it's very strange the way they're booking things. They feel, it seems to me like they feel handcuffed not having Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And that should not be the case given the talent that you have elsewhere in your division. So, all right, let's move off the women, move over to kind of the raw, at least tag team picture. You had Kofi Kingston defeat Shelton Benjamin in a one-on-one match. This was an obvious... Rest, typical wrestling follow-up of one singles match last week using team members. Then you do the other one the following week with the other team members. Every organization, every company does it very trite. Uh, Benjamin hit a great gut, wench, gut wrench powerbomb. Then a strong ankle lock. Kingston sold an injured knee after a flip, but caught Benjamin saving the countout with Trouble in Paradise and got the win. So now New Day after this moment is two zero and one in tag team matches and 1-1 one and one in singles matches, yet they're still fighting. Uh, Cedric Alexander grabs a mic, challenges Kofi to a match, saying he's sick of New Day slipping through their fingers. Xavier Woods is standing next to Kofi, screaming, why do we keep giving them chances? Why are we still fighting them? And you know what, Xavier? That's exactly what I'm saying. Why the hell are you still fighting these guys when you're 2-0-1 in tag team matches, and now 1-1 one one in singles matches? But Kofi, he's injured. He says, Screw it. We're going to fight anyway. So you knew what was going to happen. Cedric Alexander defeats Kofi Kingston one-on-one. Kingston sold the knee from the beginning as an excuse to lose the match. He hit a really rough SOS on Alexander, uh, concentrated on the knee, Alexander did, before hitting a spinning brainbuster for a near fall. That was a great move. And by the way, I'm talking about it. The brainbuster is back in WWE. Great. Uh, Kingston hit missed another high-risk move, again hurt his knee, so Alexander caught him for the lumbar check and the win. Kingston sold it like absolute death. He flew into the air and then flopped around like the rock afterwards. Uh, Cedric has now defeated Kingston and Woods, which is huge for him. MVP made a comment earlier in the show that Cedric is feeling himself, and this time they all celebrated together, they being the Hurt Business. So clearly this is going to result in the Hurt Business getting a fourth title match. We presume that's going to come at TLC. I'm of a mixed mind, Chris, because on one hand, I want the Hurt Business to win the titles and take the titles off New Day. It's time for New Day to kind of not be champions, operate in a different way, maybe even take a break, right? I don't feel like Xavier Woods and Kofi are really clicking without Big E to the extent that they need to be tag team champions. So change the titles. But if you're going to change the titles, I'm okay with maybe New Day having beat her business. They're not done with them. So they get into the singles feuds and they win another shot. But again, you didn't just have New Day beat them the first time before the last pay-per-view. Out of the last pay-per-view, you had them beat them a second time. And then there was another like no winner, double count out type of uh, finish. So even if that one was a screw-up, you still have New Day getting two clean wins over them as a tag team. That means there's no reason for there to be another tag team match. Yet it's clear that's the direction they're going. So I think it was really shitty booking in terms of the order of events. But, you know, we got to be fair. What do we talk about? We want Cedric Alexander, Mustafa Ali, Chad Gable. We want these guys to get built up and, and get opportunities. And what are they doing here? they're making Cedric Alexander look like a damn star by beating Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston one-on-one.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that my, my only thought out of this was like, what is the point of all this? And then at the end, I guess it was to make Cedric Alexander look really good. I know, you know, was it was the last week? He, he had that win and walked off on his own. So maybe he's going to go off and do his own thing. But yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, Get this. I, I, it, it, we've established that New Day is much better than the Hurt Business. The Hurt Business beat Retribution, and Retribution beat the Raw Men's Survivor Series team, which is made of all the people going for the championship. So I, I, I'm just, I don't get it. Uh, I, I think the Hurt Business is doing great work, and they the idea of them wanting all the gold makes sense. I don't understand why you haven't beat them every week. This, this feels like, this these handful of weeks in this story, this feels like pre-pandemic Raw. This feels like when we get the same yes. match every week, trading yes. wins or someone's getting wins and you just keep fighting each other and then you have the title match. They have not really done that in the pandemic era. They've been pretty good about like changing things up or just moving along with stories. This has just been going nowhere other than to, I guess, make Cedric Alexander look really good. It's just making New Day look like idiots for continuing to fight these guys after beating them. It makes the herpes look like chumps because they keep losing. So just it's just weird.
0: Like, I lo- I loved that Cedric Alexander is w- winning. I loved that Xavier Woods was there kind of saying, what the hell are we doing? This doesn't make any sense. But in the end, he's right. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it- it's really, really crap booking. And yeah, you know, when this was happening during the beginning of the pandemic, like April and May, when they were short on people and and there were struggles, and they had to rewrite the show, things like this could be excused. But there was really no reason to have that title match coming out of the last pay-per-view. If you knew you were going to have another title match, they could have started, they could have maybe just done a double count-out finish there, not restarted the match, and then gone into these singles matches where, you know, maybe Hurt Business wins them two to one, which is what we've gotten so far, and then they decide to have a match at TLC. And maybe As part of it, you work in MVP having used a chair to hit Kofi in the back, causing him to lose behind the referee's back. Now it's a chairs match. Now you give her Business a reason to win. Or you make it a tables match, where again, in a tables match, you win without pinning or submitting someone. So it's a good way to excuse a title change. There's all these things they could have done, and they could have been telling the story for TLC, but they're leading into this, and there's really no story other than we don't know what we're doing so these two teams are just going to keep fighting in different machinations and eventually they're going to have a title match again i mean we're we're two weeks out of tlc and there's no stipulation builds it feels like next week just one group of people is going to use chairs one group of people is going to use ladders someone else is going to use chairs and then all of a sudden we're going to get the stipulation matches for the pay-per-view so you know cr- again we give credit where it's due for wwe for their improved booking as of late but we got to be fair and kind of criticize some pretty shoddy stuff. And I think this is a really good example of that, Chris. Yeah,
1: you made the point of um, New Day, just maybe they should just go away for a little bit. I I, I kind of, le- it's tough because of the time in the calendar and, and there's so few people available at certain times anyway, but I, I feel like they still feel like the team that lost Big E. They're, they're, I think they need to yeah. not change themselves, but just kind of like reboot a little bit and I think they need a pause for like a month just to like stay off of, of TV come back like just more focus or something. I don't know. Cause it, it, it still feels like they're just, it's them without Biggie and, and, and something's just off, maybe not seeing them for a little bit and then they come back. We'd feel good. But again, we're heading into Royal Rumble season pretty soon. So maybe, maybe not, but uh, you know, the, the matches have been good and everything, but just story-wise,
0: Something's just not quite where Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not keeping obviously Kofi out of the Royal Rumble. They can't. Right. They're not allowed to. It. That's illegal. Right. Uh. So the, you're right though. It feels like they lost Biggie, and Biggie did not lose them. Mm-hmm. Like you see Biggie single, and you're you don't really think twice about New Day, but you see New Day without Biggie, and you're like, where is Biggie? And that was even the case when you know occasionally xavier has to be out he was injured for a while obviously and biggie was working with kofi xavier's great he's a huge part of that team they're all i was about to say equally important they're not they're all equally key they to, all, they all you know, bring something whenever they all bring, whenever, yeah, whenever they, two of them and not one
1: when kofi was out for a little bit when whenever somebody's out it just it, all, it didn't feel right cuz they were they all
0: they were it was a triumvirate where they all were holding something up there So what you're saying is true, but Big E, just like Roman Reigns was to The Shield, he's the linchpin. Mm -hmm. He is the guy who stirs the drink. He is the guy where you get endless comedy, endless seriousness, the size and the strength. Otherwise, it's just kind of two guys who are a tag team. With Big E, there's that additional level of entertainment, dominance, whatever the case might be. So, yeah, it really does feel like New Day has taken a back seat. I mean obviously New Day's taken a back seat, but that New Day's lost any momentum that they had not having Big E with them whereas Big E I don't feel like he's slowed down whatsoever. Now, he hasn't been on TV every week on SmackDown and that's its own issue that we'll discuss, you know, separately when when it's appropriate. But New Day is really kind of floundering on Raw and I think taking the titles off them is a pretty good move and a necessary move. The other the problem though is look, you need to build up some tag teams. And they don't really have that right now yep. in Raw. So yep. that's that's the issue. Okay, right, move on. Moving on a couple more things before we get out of here. uh King Corbin defeated Murphy in a singles match. Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler ac- accompanied Corbin to the ring. Good to see them get another opportunity and hopefully by the way that clears up for everyone why they ran the angle they did last week where they had the Mysterio family all basically interfere a little bit to help Murphy win. I already told you why that was not bad booking last week, but now it provided Corbin a reason to get someone to have his back. So he has Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler. Now they got to get rid of the King gimmick. This thing needs to go away. It's been well (laughs) over a year. (laughs) They have not redone the King of the Ring, which I thought they were going to. So man, okay, King Corbin, it's over now. Just be Corbin. You can still wear your crown. Just go back to being Baron Corbin. Corbin beat the hell out of Murphy threw him around. Murphy eventually got some momentum with a V-trigger counter to Corbin's like roundabout the ring post. As Murphy was about to beat Corbin, Cutler and Blake attacked the Mysterios. Murphy had to save them. Then he was caught running back into the ring by Corbin with End of Days. This was an entertaining match, a good piece of booking for me with the guys not forcing a DQ, but rather putting the face in an impossible situation to win. I don't really know what the runway is for Murphy and Corbin and the Mysterios, It kind of feels like we're just getting into another Mysterio family angle. But in terms of the match and the segment and my curiosity with Blake and Cutler siding up with Corbin, Chris, I actually feel like it's a good trio. And I like that they kind of got them away from Jackson Riker, who we'll talk about momentarily. So for me, you know, ultimately, I guess this was a minor win. Yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, Corbin needed something different. So if he's got some lackeys, it's. It's something, sure, whatever. I I don't really know what's going on with Mysterios. Don't have that much interest right now. I I did um, I did wonder if they would mention it all or if they will mention it all. Probably not, but just as someone who remembers this, uh, Blake and Murphy were a tag team in NXT yep. for a long time. Uh, popular tag team for a while with Alexa Bliss in there at the time. Good tag team. Yeah, also. yeah. So um. Uh, I don't know if they'll have any acknowledgement of it. I think if they did, it would add some personal intrigue to the story. I don't expect us to have any because it's a Corbin feud. Um,
0: So just whatever. It's something different. All right. They're trying something. We'll see how it is in a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but if they somehow back their way into Blake and Murphy reforming and Corbin makes a tag team with Cutler and they, they end up working out and now we have two new tag teams on SmackDown, like Okay, we got something going like we need tag teams in WWE and you have these guys who are really good wrestlers. So there's really not a good reason not to form some new tag teams. And even if they don't, even if it's just Blake and Cutler that are a tag team, okay, that's something going. Now, regarding Riker, there's some interesting stuff to talk about. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm not going to necessarily get into all the Riker stuff. We've talked about it before on the podcast, why they were off television, you know, the stuff he did on social media. Um, But. So Riker apparently appeared on main event alongside Baron Corbin, and I I didn't watch it, so I don't know exactly uh, what. Elias. Yes, I'm sorry, Elias. Yeah, I I misspoke. Uh, Next to Elias, and I don't know exactly why or what happened or what that angle is going to be. I don't really care because I don't care about Jackson Riker whatsoever, but I did find it interesting, and this is where I'm drawing a parallel, that Lars Sullivan has not been on TV in a few weeks. And this is after they were shoving him down our throats, right? Now, that doesn't mean Laura Sullivan's gone. But I think WWE may be doing something right now where there are people in their organization who have not been on TV for a while for reasons unrelated to injuries, reasons more related to things that happened off screen. And WWE may feel like they're in a scenario where they can't just fire these people because of one reason or another. Maybe they feel like they could get sued or be liable or whatever the case. So I have this weird suspicion that WWE was finding ways or is currently finding ways to put Laura Sullivan and Jackson Riker on television briefly, occasionally, as the year runs out and ends up firing both of them. That way they were fired with cause. Basically, they just don't Work well, and WWE doesn't feel like using them as talent and kind of frees themselves up from potential lawsuits, whether it's First Amendment, whether it's, you know, I'm not an employment lawyer, so I'm not sure all the reasons, but I have a feeling that's what's happening. Maybe it's not, but I don't know how else you explain Jackson Riker showing up on main event and Lars Sullivan being shoved down our throats from October into early November and then now not being on TV for five weeks or three weeks or however long it's been with, um, Laura Sullivan. So Chris, I mean, is there something to that or am I just kind of getting into a conspiracy theory situation here?
1: I, I don't know. I, I, I it, you know, there are two very different situations. Jackson record is making a sidekick appearance on main event while, while Lars was getting hyped up on SmackDown. So I, and beat I, Jeff. R- and beat Jeff R- yeah. On. So I, yeah, I, I, think right. they had real plans for Lars Sullivan and realized that nobody liked it and they're, reconfiguring what they want to do. I, I don't know. I can't speculate as to anybody's job security over any of that kind of stuff. Um I, I imagine honestly I imagine it's just all right, let's try to do something else with these people that we have and see what happens. You know, I, I don't I don't know if there's really any much to it, but I, I do appreciate no longer having to hear the freak on my television. So that's something. Yeah. I
0: mean, ultimately the, the truth is I, as a viewer don't want either of them on my TV. So if you have Jackson Riker on main event, great. It's not on my television. I'm not watching that show anyway. I see. Uh, I, if, I had no, I,
1: I didn't hate the forgotten sons. I just had no reaction to the forgotten sons just existing. And frankly, they need tag teams. So if there's another tag team to throw out and do something, it's something. And, and maybe they'll get that out of color and like, I don't
0: know, but, uh, Well, Cutler and Blake were always the team. Riker was kind of just the the heavy the whole time. I mean, he did wrestle occasionally, but there was never anything with the Forgotten Sons. The Forgotten Sons were, when when they got called up, it was almost like when Sanity got called up. It was like, we don't have anything left for them to do, and they should probably get a chance on the main roster. Sanity, had they stayed in NXT, would have worked. And they would have eventually, maybe one of them would have won a title and kind of... Done something, but they W that was before AEW, before NXT was a two-hour TV show on USA network. They didn't feel like they could keep people on that roster. So Forgotten Sons, they just brought up, and yeah, they did not need tag teams. So it was the right decision, but they were never a main event uh team, they no. were never a main event group, uh, a gimmick. It just never was gonna work. And you know, we saw that happen and it 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 didn't work, not necessarily because of them, it's because of what Jackson Riker said and what he did, but the result was, look, yeah, these guys really aren't worth bringing back, even just those two guys. So now they're back with Corbin. I'm at least curious to see what they do. I will always give a chance to trying something new. It was kind of interesting to see them in black sweatshirts kind of over their heads. And I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. I don't don't know what they're going to do. Hopefully they're not just his minions. And they're not—he's not the king—and they don't carry him to the ring and shit like that. Hopefully, that, that's it's,
1: probably what it's going to be. But I know it's better know. than it's better than it's better than just Corbin right now.
0: I said minions, I meant subjects. But yeah, it, it's better than just Corbin. You're right. So let's let's give it at least one more week to see what they do. All right, moving on. We had Ricochet and Dana Brooke defeat Slapjack and Reckoning in a mixed tag team match. I have to laugh every time I see Slapjack. It just it's, <laughs> it's freaking funny. Uh, credit words do, though. I have to say because Ricochet and Dana Brooke plus Mustafa Ali, were all solid in those really short backstage promos. They're not really giving Retribution the time they should as a faction on the Raw roster, but at least they're not forgotten about. It. I guess I can say that. Uh, this was a rare mixed tag team match on the main roster. They really don't do many of these. Ricochet hit an incredible Tope swan dive. Slapjack came back with a his own version, I guess, of a Falcon Arrow. When the women got tagged in for the second time, Dana hit an awesome fireman's carry Falcon Arrow, which I guess is her new finisher for the win. I'm sitting on the couch like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> from Dana Brooke. Ali ripped the Retribution members afterwards. So it does seem like the booking is of them losing in this scenario is not without reason. But that doesn't change the fact that the faction is a total loser. To this point, Slapjack in his matches, Shane Thorne, has looked great. Mia Yim as Reckoning has not. The other guys, we barely see, we don't see T-Bar and Mace wrestle anymore, despite them being a, a Twin Towers type of tag team. And they could easily be going after New Day for the titles instead of the Hurt Business, but they're just non-existent in terms of wrestling right now. So Retribution, stuck in a rut. Ricochet, it feels like they're doing something with him. Like it may not be the main event or mid card that we want, but they're giving him opportunities. He's winning. He seems to have found some confidence where he has a little swagger. He can cut promos again. Dana Brooks getting wins on television because Mandy Rose isn't there. So again, I think what they did, Chris, and I mentioned this earlier when I talked about Asuka and what they're doing with the women's tag team picture, it seems like they're making something out of nothing, utilizing Dana Brooke and Reckoning in this feud, whereas otherwise they would be used elsewhere. So again, I give credit to WWE for the creativity. I was actually entertained by this. I have to say, in the end, if you're giving thumbs up or thumbs down to segments, Chris, I gave this a thumbs up. It was good. The Silver King is a
1: big fan of Nia Jackson, Dana Brooke. You heard it here first. Before. I was
0: never not a fan of Dana. Brooke. No, I know. I, 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 I do. I'm, I'm clarifying. I'm mis- clarifying. No, he's never know. not a fan. It just she was rough around the edges, but she seems to have kind of developed into. Uh,
1: yeah, she she gets a lot of she gets a lot of crap, but honestly, I, I always thought she's been she's been all right, and and she's getting better. And I, sometimes you mash people together, and it just it works better than you thought. And I, I think Ricochet and Dana Brooke have. I, I enjoy them being together. They're, 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 you know, Ricochet does the flips. She does her kind of flip type thing and, and, and just kind of their entrance. It works. It, they actually did... I don't know if they did it on purpose. I haven't paid attention to them closely every week. But Ricochet did his bounce off the rope and flip while she did her... It's not a somersault, but like a, f- a handstand flip to a flex. And actually, yeah. like, visually, like, looked really cool.
0: Like, as like... They she, kinda, doesn't know, she does a no-hands uh, cartwheel.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So it like, it, like worked... It worked. It was just visually, it was kind of cool. So I, I, I thought that was fine. Maybe there's something. Maybe they're not. But I don't know. They're kind of interesting. Retribution. I actually, it does seem like there is a story going on here now, and that is that they are losing, and 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 Mustafa Ali can't handle it, and especially uh, Mia Yim. Uh, what happened last week? What happened here? I don't. Clearly, the the their angle is not that they're going to be dominant by any means. They they've clearly moved past that. Now they're maybe moving towards some internal drama. I don't know. It it looks like, based on the last couple weeks, I think they do have a semblance of a plan for Retribution. It's not a big plan. It's not a big story. But I I think they are kind of doing something.
0: I I believe they are doing something. But it's what is that something, right? Again, it's weird to not have... Like when WWE had Faction Warfare, and it was DX and Los Bariquas and Nation of Domination and um, DOA, it's okay to have a loser faction when you, when you do that, right? Um, the job squad, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You, uh, even DOA. Were they, they need just
1: real quick. They need to bring back a job squad. I was hoping that's what the B team was going to be back then. Like they could have, I don't know. I, it's just a really, we're, we're big faction fans here. And I think I love should, the job squad. I, yeah, thought they were fun, I, right? I think there's but, a lot of things you can do with faction, but
0: the point is when you're operating within faction warfare, it's okay to have a loser faction. because mm-hmm. Someone has to eat the losses, right? But the, there's not faction warfare. You have Hurt Business, which to their credit has been built pretty dominantly, despite not being put over as a main event faction. They're a upper mid card, really strong faction and, and good on them. But Retribution is being booked as a loser, but they're just losing to individuals. <laughs> and, and they're losing matches that they really should be winning. Uh, where is the strength in numbers? It was a mixed tag team match. Why is Ali the only one at ringside? Why weren't T-Bar and Mace there stalking and preventing Ricochet from winning? And why, Or why aren't they taking Ricochet out before the match so he's injured, you know, going into it, giving them the opportunity to win? What's the point of retribution if the strength in numbers isn't going to be utilized, right? So, yeah, it does seem like they're doing something. And marginal credit for, not, for this not being an F, but instead being like a D+, plus potentially, meaning retribution in particular. But it's just, it's so weird that they got rid of Raw Underground. They got rid of some of these other things, but Retribution is still here. It's still existing and it's just not going anywhere. So maybe it's an injury issue. Maybe, uh, you know, with the women, maybe that's preventing some larger storylines. Look, maybe they were going to have Reckoning beat Oscar for the title and then I can shut my mouth, right? Who knows? And maybe that's the direction that they're going to go once everyone's healthy and, and able to go back together in the women's division. But I just can't really buy into this faction and I'm not going to until they give me a reason. And that thing, that reason, needs to be them being dominant, whether it's other teams or individuals or titles. I don't know. But Retribution is just kind of there. And a faction should never, ever, ever just be kind of there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I, there's not much really left to say about Retribution. No, at this I point. Just, I think.
0: Wanted to put a bow on it. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so a couple more things we'll get out back over to SmackDown for both of these. The Street Profits were backstage and I got worried because it seemed like they were getting pigeonholed back into a hosting gig, kind of reviewing everything that happened on the show, previewing what was coming up next. But no, they got interrupted, which was really good. Uh, Robert Roode and Cesaro came in, claimed they were both the premier tag teams on SmackDown. I liked that they had the guys who did not compete in that six-man Intercontinental Championship you know, memorial match be the ones who kind of were in this segment because the other ones were presumably injured, recovering from that match. They were on the heel side. They lost. So they gave Robert Roode some screen time without Dolph. They gave Cesaro some screen time without Nakamura. I really liked how they did that. There's some business going on in the tag team division. Now we have three teams, at least, who, you know, are all contending for the titles. One of them is champion, two of them are contenders. So we got some business, right? Like I'm interested. I really hope they don't give us a triple threat tag team match at TLC because that would be ruining two feuds, you know, at the same time where you kind of want those to be separate. But look, let's build some tag teams up. You Need them on Raw, you need them on SmackDown. And I just thought that this moment backstage with the Street Profits was pretty solid to say, look, we are not forgetting about the SmackDown tag team titles.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's good to see some tag team work going on. Get get some of these teams involved. Don't really have much to say other than you know it's we need to get some tag team action going on, both 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 shows. I mean especially SmackDown. So you know it's kind of the same teams over and over, but it's an, it's an acknowledgement of something that needed to be acknowledged, and we'll see where it goes.
0: And then wrapping up here on SmackDown, Natalya defeated Bailey in singles competition. Just like last week, the match was more about the person on commentary than the match itself. This time, Belair was on commentary, Bianca Belair. Last week, it was Bayley. Uh, Bailey was a bit distracted by Belair at ringside, but she also lost squeaky clean to a sharpshooter for really no good reason. I thought it was a strange piece of booking. Maybe yeah. they are doing a downward spiral type of angle for Bailey or something. That would make sense. But generally, if you're going to have her lose in that spot in wrestling, you know, typical wrestling. You would have Bianca Belair taunting her, distracting Bailey, who would then get locked in the sharpshooter in the middle of the ring and lose. But she was locked in the sharpshooter. She wasn't within arm's length of the ropes, but she was not really in the middle of the ring. And Natalia has not been built strong whatsoever. So it's really strange that they would just kind of do this and give Natalia the win. I know they're building to Bianca Belair versus Bailey, but it's just weak. It's a very weak build and... Having Bailey lose to Natalia before she goes, faces Belair, and presumably loses to Belair doesn't make any sense. So I would have... I, if you want to do a roll-up finish in any match, I would have had Bailey win this via roll-up, at least. Yeah, I,
1: I I thought we were going to talk about this higher in the show. Just this is so weird. It was so bad, I left it for I, last. Yeah, right? I don't get it at all. I don't know why Natalia needs this win, needs this win this way. How is this supposed to help Bianca Belair in any way? I don't get it. So someone had pointed out on Twitter, I think Bailey had like two wins since SummerSlam or something like that. She has really not had wins the second half of the year, but it's not something they're addressing. They're not painting this as a downward spiral type of deal. And, 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 and you know, this is, this is me fantasy booking here. Maybe she's going to get her ass kicked by Bianca Belair and it's going to turn into a downward spiral that eventually brings her back into being a face or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're doing with here. Ever since he lost, she lost the title, it's been kind of nonsense after she had an incredible summer. She was the better half of that Bailey sasha feud. Um, and if the idea is to feed her to Bianca Belair, I don't
0: understand how this is supposed to do that. It's really strange. I was actually watching Tribute for the Troops last night. Did you get to see it by any chance? I did not. There was a t- freaking tag team match with Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair on the same team. And the, the wrestling quality in this match was absolutely insane. Like, I, I was shocked how good Tribute for the Troops was across the board, match-wise. But the women's match, the tag team match, stole the show. So I'm watching that. And, and yeah, I don't really want Sasha Banks and Bailey in another match, even if it's a tag team match, right? But I'm watching that, I'm like, how is this not on television? And how are we getting Natalia defeating Bailey nonsensically in that match? That was you cannot like stuff that WWE does on both on either show. Maybe, you know, you don't like their storytelling, you don't like their booking, you don't like characters, whatever. This was the most offensive thing for me the entire week. Yeah. I, I just I thought I just thought it made zero sense. Now, again, maybe Friday they surprise us. But I mean, I can't even. I can't even create a reasoning for that finish. Like like I I don't get why Bailey
1: has to lose her title, lose a rematch and then just become a become not a threat. She she's lost all of her momentum and in, in, in not goodwill, but just kind of the heat she
0: had. I just I don't know. Like if it. if you want Bianca Belair to get over by beating Bailey, that's great, right? That's a really good idea. But you don't have Bailey lose on the way to that happening. You right. have Bailey beat people. You have Bailey beat Natalia. You have Bailey beat, I candidly don't even remember a uh, Ruby Riot. Um, maybe not live because you don't want to, you know, feed live to someone. But yeah, you have her start beating women again and, and gaining her confidence, cutting promos that, yeah, she may have lost the title, but she's still the best woman on SmackDown. And then you have Bianca Belair be the one to take her down. You don't just have Bailey lose matches again without a distraction type of finish. So, uh, you know, we don't have to harp on it anymore, but, and I guess we're ending the show a bit on a sour note, but that's why I left it for last. It was just, it angered me so much that I I, I couldn't believe they booked it that way. I thought it was so stupid. Yeah. Very very weird. All right, well, that is it breaking down SmackDown and Raw from this past week. We are just over a week away from WWE TLC, which will be the final pay-per-view From the company in 2020. So on next Tuesday's show, we will have our WWE TLC tables, ladders, and chairs ultimate preview. That will be a mouthful when I say it like a million times on that show. But that does not mean that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is done for the week. Oh no, not by any means. We are back on Wednesday with our first ever conversation series. The Silver King sits down one-on-one with Renee Paquette for a long, in-depth interview that you absolutely need to hear. Do not forget to listen to this Wednesday's episode. We will then be back on Thursday, breaking down everything that happens, an NXT coming out of their War Games pay-per-view, which was incredible, and AEW Dynamite. They're going to have Sting. They're going to have Shaq. I don't even think they're going to have Kenny Omega, their champion. He's going to be on Impact Tuesday night. We're going to find out what all of that's about. But suffice to say, there's going to be plenty to talk about on that Thursday show. And NXT WarGames, by the way, we had our instant analysis published on Sunday. If you did not hear that, make sure you go back and listen to it. As we wrap up this month, we will also be doing our getting over awards. I should be finalizing how those are going to work by the end of this week. That means nominations, voting, all that's going to be coming pretty soon. In order to stay up on that, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's going to be very important for you guys to be able to nominate people and vote for our Getting Over Awards. I'm going to try to keep the categories to a minimum, but it's tough with wrestling and with so many brands to only do like five or six categories. So I think it's going to be in the teens most likely that means we're going to have a very special getting over awards podcast before the year is out so as you can tell tons of stuff forthcoming in the getting over universe but today's show unfortunately is in the books i appreciate chris for joining me you can follow him on twitter at chris vanini of course you can follow the silver king at silverstein adam once again please follow the show at getting Overcast. Don't forget to be marks for The Silver King and Getting Over. Drop a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. If you have not subscribed already, please make sure that you subscribe. So The Silver King is saying goodbye for himself and Chris Vanini. That means there's only one more person left to say goodbye to you. And I thank you all for listening. Bye for now.